Maybe you've been here before where you take your family and you go on vacation. In fact, maybe you shelled out the thousands upon thousands of dollars and you took your family to the most magical place on earth down in Orlando. You've been there before. You've been there in the, in the midst of the heat. You've bought everything that you can get, all the snacks, all the goodies, all the gifts. But there are five words you can say that will take a face from this to do immediately looking like this. And the word is, it's time to go home. Have you been there? Every good thing, every big moment, it comes to, to its end. I was thinking about that this week as we were looking at our reading for, for today with the life of Joseph. Life has those big moments that capture our attention. Births or graduation or weddings, first day on the job, big vacation, weeks at camp that some of our young people have done already this summer. Those are the big moments that we remember and we attach strong memories to them. But there's also the big bad moments as well, the sickness or the illness or the hospital or the surgeries or the tragedies or the deaths. And those moments, whether they're good or bad, they pull us out of our reality. They, they make the normal life stop and they captivate our attention because of how extraordinary they are for that time. They're rare because the majority of life is not big moments. In fact, the majority of life is ordinary. It's simple. It's regular and routine. Oftentimes, when we talk about faithfulness to God, we paint it in the context of extremes. Be faithful to God in the midst of the most severe storm you can face. Or, I came out of a great week, a VBS week, a week at camp, and I feel closer to the Lord. I'm drawn nearer to Him because of the big moments. And yet oftentimes we don't talk about faithfulness to God in the everyday ordinary routine. Here in Genesis chapter 50, we see a moment in the life of Joseph that we don't look at too often. When we talk about Joseph, we talk about the young man in Egypt. We talk about the young man with that colored coat, the young man who went through a lot of big, hard things early in his life. But here in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 22, it says, Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt." Quite a stark contrast, isn't it, from verse 26 back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the last words of the first book is, and they placed them in a coffin in Egypt. Isn't it fascinating, this little section here? Joseph is not that young man in Egypt. In fact, you might estimate over 70 or 80 years have passed since we left Joseph as that young man in Egypt. When we talk about Joseph, we talk about usually his, his early years of life and how much happened in that short amount of time. The tragedies, the betrayal, the hardship, the, the, the abandonment. And we see him there, and we see him in everything he faced, and he was faithful to God through it all. And yet here we see him in Genesis chapter 50, and he's 110 years old. He is seeing his great-great-grandchildren, and he's faithful to God 
and dedicated to his Lord. You know what we don't have? Compared to the first part of Joseph's life, we really don't have any record as to what happened with the rest of his story. What, what happened when he was in Egypt? What happened over those 60, 70, 80 years? Don't, don't miss the point. The, the Lord is showing us something there. Compared to the early portions of Joseph's life, the rest of it seemed quite ordinary and plain, uneventful. Nothing necessary to record and share for us. He lived out a long, simple life. And yet, he was faithful in the first part with a lot of big moments. And here he is at the end of his life, and he's faithful in the end. And the lesson is this. What you see in the life of Joseph is a faithful walk with the Lord. A dedication to God. What you see is a long obedience in the same direction. Faithful in the big moments faithful and steadfast in the ordinary moments and the day-by-day living. I think that's what we want, isn't it? I I think if you and I were to talk about that, we don't just want to be faithful to God in the big times, in the storms, in the hardships. We want a faithfulness that spans a lifetime. We want a faith, a dedication that would leave a legacy for our children and our children's children after us. And that's what I want us to just chase for a moment today, just a few moments. I want you to think about that faith that spanned a lifetime and left a legacy for his family that followed. One of the things you see out of Joseph is that you see a faith that moved forward. That verse there again in Genesis 50 and verse 22, it says, Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Mekir and the sons of Manasseh were born on his knees. Eighty years, in some sense, have passed since some of the events that Joseph took place. In fact, verse 22 encompasses a lifetime. One verse describes a lifetime compressed in just a few words. That may not seem like much, but can you do a little math with me? I know it's Sunday morning, but let's do a little math and see if we can be impressed with where Joseph is in light of what he faced. Eighty years ago, Joseph was a young man at his father's house receiving that colorful coat and thrown into that pit. It was 80 years ago that he was betrayed by his brothers out of anger, sold off as a slave, dragged off to Egypt, and forced into labor. It was 80 years ago, over 80 years, that Potiphar's wife made an advance to him and then slandered about him and had him thrown into prison. Over 80 years had passed by when he was forgotten in that jail and abandoned. Over 80 years, some say 70 to 80, he stood before the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and had to interpret his dreams through the power of God. For some of us, 80 years is a lifetime. Do you see what happened? Traumatic events took place in Joseph's life, but that didn't end his life. He learned to move on. He learned to live with it. Joseph didn't allow the tragedy and turmoil of the past keep him from moving forward. He was able to move past hurt, the hurt of betrayal, the hurt of, of abuse, the hurt of being left and forgotten. Chapter 15, verse 20, as David read for us at 9 a.m., says, As for you, Joseph speaking about his brothers, you meant evil against me. Stop. Do you see what he's saying? He doesn't say, I wasn't that bad. I know you were joking. You were just kidding. What you did was wrong and what you did was evil, and I remember that. The way you treated me, the way you spoke about me, the way you behaved towards me was evil. 
But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. He was able to move past the pain of hurt, of being wounded by those closest to him. He was able to move past disappointment. And chapter 40 of the book of Genesis, while Joseph is in prison, he interprets two dreams of two prisoners who were in Egypt. The end of Genesis chapter 40, the chief baker, or the chief, uh, chief cupbearer in verse 23 of Genesis 40, made a promise to Joseph that he would remember him and go to Pharaoh and tell him about Joseph to release him. But it says in Genesis 40 and verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Now it happened in the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and life begins to unfold. Two years! I'll go tell him. I'll do that for you. I'll be there. I'll keep my word. I'll get you out. I'll say a good word. Disappointment. Disappointed by others. Disappointed by his brothers. Disappointed even by his father. Surely dad will come and rescue me. Surely father will come and save me. And yet here he is and he's able to look back with clarity and understanding. And let's not forget the fact that he was able to move past grief. Losing a mother at a young age. And really losing a father at a young age. Because even at 17 years old he's removed from his father. And he lives up to at least age 30 before he sees his father again. But it says here in our context in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15 that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? He lost his father, he lost his mother, neither one he had a full lifetime with. And so he knew grief. Now here's the point right here. The story for some of us is very familiar and even if you're not very familiar with the story of Joseph, at least hopefully you get a taste that as a young man, he went through more than most of us will face in a lifetime. Betrayal and hurt and hardship and harm and loss and grief and pain. But here it is. I need this today. That didn't end his life. He kept going. He didn't let what happened keep him from who it was he needed to be and to become. He learned from the pain he grew through the suffering, and he moved on. And I think far too many of us just hang on to what happened in the past, and we just keep ourselves from moving forward. Sometimes we, we say things like, I've been hurt by someone, betrayed by someone close to me, and I will never trust again. I'm done with relationships. I'm done opening up myself to others. It's just a lot easier this way to kind of seclude myself and just be the Lone Ranger Christian, and that's exactly what Satan wants from us. They say, I put myself out there and I was betrayed. I had a friend, a brother, a sister, and they let me down. It's just a lot easier for me to step away now and to not try that again, not realizing God who made us, made us to be a people who need people. And that's what he wants. And here's Joseph, who if anyone, if there's anyone who could say, you know, I've kind of done trusting people. I'm kind of over having close relationships with people because it's really hurt me a lot in the past. Again and again and again with my brothers, with the boss's wife, with the guy in jail. I just have a pattern of people taking advantage of me, so I'm kind of done with that. And yet here's Joseph, who again and again and again allows and welcomes people back into his life. People who betrayed him and who hurt him. He allows himself to be loved. He allows himself to be open to trust. 
because he knew his brothers needed him just as much as he needed them. Can you hear that again? Joseph let these people back into his life, his brothers, because they needed him as much as he needed them. And you need me as much as I need you. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I need you to help me when I fall. I need you to comfort my heart when it's broken. I need you to chase away doubts when they fill my mind. I need you to help me keep from drifting. I need you to remind me of where we're going. Or maybe Galatians 6 and verse 1 and 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because there's times I need you to help lift this heavy load. I can't do this on my own. This pain, this grief, this loss is too great for me. And I need to know you're on my side. I need a shoulder to lean on. I need some advice to help guide my path. I can't do this on my own and I need you. Now Joseph moved me moving forward. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen immediately. It didn't happen easily. And it doesn't mean that he forgot because Genesis 50 and verse 20 obviously shows us that Joseph never forgot what happened. What we see in Joseph moving forward is this. He didn't allow the difficulties of what happened to destroy his faith in God. The same faith that allowed him to respond to hurt with grace. To respond to disappointment with understanding and sympathy because when those brothers came back wounded, here he was in a position to enact revenge. And whatever strength he would have shown on the pages of history to crushing his brothers simply does not compare to the strength he showed in responding with grace. And when the people who turned his back, their back on him, Potiphar and his wife, those prisoners who say, we'll, we'll get you out. When he could have said, you know what? I, I like the offer, Pharaoh, but I'm done helping Egypt. I want nothing to do with Egypt. Who's the one who saves Egypt? And in so doing, saves the world. It's that same faith in God, good brethren, that, that allowed him to move past grief with hope. Because even here at the end of his life, who is he speaking about? How about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham? It's not saying that you move past it all. Even that Philippians 3 and verse 13 about forgetting what lies ahead and reaching forward to what's before us. It's not about just forgetting what is behind you. You don't forget. If we could just take a page from the life of Joseph, brethren, and see this, you can't let your past keep you from going forward. All of us have, have deep, dark things in the pages of our past. Pain and difficulty and hardship wounds that have been inflicted on, on, the, on the past behind us. What you see in Joseph is not moving on as if it never happened. What you see is learning to live with it, to learn to live with the pain, with the suffering, with the knowledge that it took place. Because some of you have it like me. I forgot, you forget what finger it's on. I've got a nice scar right here on this finger, and I can't do anything about it. I could try and cover it up, put some makeup on it, maybe. I wouldn't know how to do that. Maybe a Band-Aid or a nice ring. 
but it's with me. You know what it reminds me? Something hurt a long time ago. I shouldn't have touched something or been close to something. But I lived. Remember how strong this was. My God was stronger and saw me through. You have a lot of scars, good brethren. Joseph had a lot of scars, reminding him there were some strong, severe, piercing pains in his past, but they didn't compare to the strength of his God who saw him through. Through grace, through mercy, through patience, we just keep moving forward. And so Joseph lived, he lived and learned to Learn to live and move on. What you also see in Joseph is a faith that kept focus. Back in our passage in verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land which he promised on oath to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Joseph was, in every sense of the word, an Egyptian because he lived the majority of his life in Egypt. And so Joseph had an Egyptian name. He married an Egyptian woman, gave birth to two Egyptian boys, had an Egyptian house, had an Egyptian job, had an Egyptian lifestyle. He was an Egyptian except... When we get to the book of Exodus, we realize that the Egyptians had a lot of different gods. In fact, if there was anything around them in creation, they tended to worship it. The sun and the moon and the stars, the rivers, the animals, they just put a god towards whatever they saw. And yet here is Joseph, an Egyptian. Here is Joseph, entrenched in the Egyptian lifestyle. In verse 24, who is he talking about? Who is he reminded of? Who is he instructing the next generations about? God. God. You can change my name and you can change my location and you can change my job and you can entrench me in the ways and the society of the world, but you cannot change my faith and my commitment to my God. That's Joseph. What I love in verse 24, though, is the fact that he takes the time, he sees, and here's a lesson. For those here, and we're blessed to have you, who are in your 70s and 80s and 90s, those of you who have grandchildren, we'll see your pictures after services. You always have about 50. Or your great-grandchildren. There's a lesson here for you because did you see what Joseph saw as his personal responsibility? Well, he didn't see as my role now as a great-great-great-grandpa is to sit on my Egyptian rocker and to live out the rest of my days watching the Egyptians Andy Griffith and enjoying life. Did you see what he saw as his personal responsibility? There's something I really want my children's children's, children's, children to get. There's something they need to understand. I don't want you so deeply rooted in your life here in Egypt. I don't want you so entrenched in your lifestyle here in Egypt that when the horns start blowing and those chariot wheels start turning, that you refuse to get up and get out because this is not going to be your home forever. I need you to realize you're not going to be here for long. We have a home somewhere else. Have you been there before? Have any of you spent time with someone who's a little bit older than you? And by a little bit, I mean on the other side of life. And you talk with them and you're hearing their story and they say something like this. Have you ever heard this phrase before? You know, I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for heaven. Have you heard that before? 
Because if you're where we are right now, that phrase sounds so strange right now. I'm ready to go. That's the furthest thing from my mind right now. I mean, I want to go to heaven, but I've got three kids and a mortgage, and i got a job. And in terms of kingdom work, there's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of teaching and serving and living. When you hear someone who's at the other end of life, and they say, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for heaven. It pulls you and I out of our small reality to remind us of something we know is true, but we just forget it. This world is not our home. And they see what Joseph saw, which so often we don't see, that we set our roots so deep right here that we have lives and homes and families and, and, and plans and purposes that we forget there is a habitation built by the living God. And more often what we need, brethren, the longer and longer we live here, you know it, you know it, because I know it. The longer we live here, the greater the challenge it is to forget. This is not the final destination. An eternal perspective changes everything. Eternal perspectives changes everything about life. You think of what is said about Joseph. Joseph lumped him with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they died not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's the eternal perspective. Now think of this. I know I'm not here forever. In fact, I'm just here for a moment, a breath, a fog. And since this is not home, how I see my neighbors is really different. Because I know, like Paul said, that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, what we are is known to God. And I hope it's also known to your conscience. You get what he's saying there? I hope you get this. I hope you understand it, that it's known to your conscience that we are all, we are all racing towards eternity and we're going to stand before the throne of God. And that changes everything. Because when I drive home and I go into my driveway and I hit my button and the garage door goes up and I see my neighbors, I may not know their first names, but God knows their names. And they and I are going to be standing before the throne of God. They may not know it. You and I know it. We know that. It changes everything. How I speak to my neighbor, how I treat my neighbor, how I treat those around me changes when we realize this is all but a moment compared to eternity. It changes what our good brother said in prayer about suffering and pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul says, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Yes, it hurts. And yes, it matters. But it doesn't matter as much as what is to come. No matter how great or severe, it just can't compare to what God has promised to us in heaven. And even you and I today, we got our calendars out on the wall. Our kids just studied in their classes today, James chapter 3, 4, and 5. And James gave a warning that you and I forget sometimes in the end of James 4 when he says, when you've got your calendar out and say, next week we're going to make a trip to Galveston and we're going to stay in this hotel and we're going to eat at this restaurant, hang on a minute. Because before we start ordering our life around, as if we are the ones in charge, let's remember there is someone who is, who knows the date, 
when his son will come. And maybe instead of organizing our life as if we are on the throne, let's just remember what we have as a gift. God gave us today. And if tomorrow comes, it will be by his grace. And so he totally comes, since I know he's coming. If I'm going to make a plan, it's going to be about kingdom first. God's will first. As a family, we're going to honor God today. As a home, we're going to glorify the king today. We don't make time for God. God comes first and we make time for other things. And so Joseph had a faith that no matter how entrenched in a lifestyle in Egypt, he remembered who he was and he remembered where he was going. And then what I love most about this passage is the fact that he had a faith that blessed the future. Did you notice in verse 25 what he told them to do? Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. In fact, the only thing that the Hebrew writer talks about specific to Joseph alone is that very fact that by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. That seems really strange. In fact, it seems really morbid. Why in the world would Joseph say, when I'm leaving here, take me too, take my bones with you because I want to be buried there. Have you ever known someone who says, I know I live here, but I'm going to be buried there. It doesn't matter where I live in the States or even in the world. I was born a Texan. I'm going to die a Texan. You're going to put my bones back in Texas. Is that what Joseph's saying here? I don't like Egypt. Just take my bones with you. In fact, I read this week there was a story of this guy, a doctor in Midlothian, Virginia, and that's essentially what he said. He says, wherever I die, bury me there. I mean, he said it. He literally said to his family, wherever I die... On that spot, that's where I want to be buried. Well, shortly after he said that, he was driving to take care of someone and died in the middle of the road. And so in the middle of the road in Midlothian, Virginia, is a monument for that man right where he died. You have to drive around it. Is that what Joseph is saying here? I don't want my bones here in Egypt. No, I want my bones somewhere else. Canaan means a lot more to me. You know it's not. I don't know what Joseph knew. I, I don't know all that Joseph perhaps understood. But I think it's clear there's one thing he knew that would be helpful. Those bones in that box were a lot more than simply a memento of a man who's passed by. It was a memorial. It, it was a visual reminder to the next generation of the certainty and guarantee of God's promise. You're not staying here forever. I want every time you see this box to be, to be reminded, this is not going to be our home. And we're headed to Canaan. We're going to that land. So that when times got hard, so that when the nations grew in power and in strength, and when things in Egypt turned real dark, the people could have a place to look and to see and to be reminded even then, he believed it. He really did. He guaranteed it. And if Joseph believed it and the promise is sure, it doesn't matter how dark it gets, we will leave here one day. Do you have any of that? Do you have any of those precious gifts or mementos from a generation passed by? Things that remind you and stir your mind up of faith and promises in God. Maybe a, a Bible that belonged to a grandfather or a grandmother. And you can see the oil from their fingers across the pages. And you feel how worn those pages are and you see their little handwriting and sometimes it even, even still has a smell. But you see the faith and the legacy through their Bible. 
Or maybe a letter, maybe a letter that someone wrote to you years ago, an elder, a sister in the congregation that meant so much, and their letter was so encouraging, inspiring, and it just reminds you of what it's all about. Or maybe it's not even something tangible. Maybe if you just think of a certain someone, a certain person, like a Daryl, and you think about the legacy of a life that was lived, and when you think of them, you think of their faith, and you think of their commitment and their love, and how it reminds you and inspires you of why we're here. That's what the writer says in chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Look to the example. Look to the legacy of faith of those who went on before us. They've left us something great. They're trying to remind us of what is to come. And isn't that our hope, good brethren? Some of you are there closer than some of us. And in our goal, that we leave something behind. We leave a legacy. We leave a light. We leave an example for the next generations. That this is not our home. And we're heading there one day. How do you live a life like Joseph's? How do you have a faith like Joseph's? It's not the big, grand moments. You'll have some of those in life, but they pale in comparison to the regular, ordinary, day-by-day living. Faithfulness to God is not merely in those grand moments when your faith is challenged and the storms are blowing. Faithfulness to God is every single day even in the bland, even in the ordinary, even in the routine. It's a life that says this, I know you to be faithful and I know you to be true. And so whether in storms or in trials, whether in the great or in the small, every day belongs to you and I will be true to you. Did you notice the two things that Joseph said repeated in the end of this section here? It's fascinating when you think of the hymn we sing. There's an old hymn we used to sing. It, I think it's in our red books here. There's a phrase that Joseph says two times in the end of this section, looking back over his life, and it changes, it changes the way you see the phrase. In light of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers and thrown into a pit and slandered by Egyptians and thrown into prison, in light of everything that he said, he is able at this point in his life to look backwards and say to the next generation, God will surely take care of you. God will take care of you. In essence, what he is saying is, your God is faithful. He is so faithful. He has seen me through things you won't believe. And since your God is so faithful to you, you just keep on living faithful to him. Whether in storms or trials, or in the, in the average Mondays, just be faithful and true to your faithful and true God. Could be here today, and you haven't started your journey with God, you've not begun that walk with him, and today would be a wonderful day to do so. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you are willing to turn from your sin and put him on in baptism, you here today can be adopted into his family and start that wonderful journey with him. But it could also be that you're here today and maybe you have strayed from your faithful God. Maybe you have not been faithful to him and you need some help and some encouragement, someone to talk to, someone who will pray for you and help you along the way. If you're here today and we can help you in any way with your walk with God and relationship with Christ, we would love to do that today. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. 
If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.